Um, welcome to Thanks I Love It, the podcast where we talk about something we love with someone who loves it. Um, they generally bring us round to their way of thinking. That's a given, yeah? Yeah. Or we're already on the same page. Very sycophantic and, you know, us all liking the same things. It's a big old loving. I don't care though. It's fine. It's nice. Why not have something nice for a change? I always start these quite aggressive. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Who who are you talking to in this? Me. Oh, okay. My inner critic. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, don't worry. The outer critic has got plenty to work with at this stage. Um, so, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to a lovely person called Ellie. Ellie is, um, oh, wow, like a textile artist um, as her kind of like passion project and also her day job. So in her day job, she does costume design, which is very cool. Hugh's making the Italian... Uh, Molto bene gesture with its hand, yep. which no one can see. So that's great. This is an audio medium. Mm. And um, it's a very cool chat. It does veer into the territory of thanks I hate it at points uh, in terms of, you know, we talk about some difficult stuff. I've popped some topics in the show notes. If you already think about all those difficult things already quite enough, then you can you can avoid. That's fine. Um, and first of all, I think we've got to do a little chat about internet stuff, Hugh. It's time for tweets. And it's still called tweets, even if it's not a tweet. It will always be called tweets. Tweets. You told me last time that I didn't need to do that. Yeah, but I was just doing it for timing. Sure. Um, anyway, so uh, we have got... Basically, because especially because uh, we're going to talk about some very cool, interesting things later, but we also talk about pollution, the natural world. Um, although we, we are stereotyping ourselves here and just kind of doing the same old thing. I don't care. My podcast kind of hues as well. I mean, he does all the work, but whatever. Um, and we're going to talk about a nature thing that we like. It, the tweet is often a nature thing. We started out strong early doors where we had uh, the SVU clips. That was a oh, unique saucy moment loved it however oftentimes what we need to do is talk about a cute animal thing on the internet um so this is this is actually a tweet as well it turns out and i sent this to you earlier this week hugh um it's a tweet from kit yates who is a okay he says he's from oxford or he lives in oxford and he says he is a math biologist he says math instead of maths so interesting sauce so, <laughs> you can't just say something sorry, sorry. they might be American <laughs> maybe you can um, anyway he has books out good for him um, yeah, good, good for her good. <laughs> okay uh, so that was my saying I like saying I that. know anyway, but it's, it's especially the, like saying it about inanimate objects Bluth and you from, know that it's Thiggy Bluth from um, Lucille yes Lucille Bluth yes. From, from Arrested Development it's the meme it's the meme I know it's the meme and I yeah, love it yeah. very much but, but I'm just explaining it for the listeners who might not be au okay with the meme Anyway, um, another good for her coming up <laughs> forthwith because um, Kit Yate tweets uh, on the 12th of uh, November. I went outside to top up the chicken feed yesterday afternoon because <gasps> he has a chicken feeder because yep. he lives in, yep. I, I, I hope, nice rural Oxfordshire. Sounds nice. Um, we're usually pretty careful about putting the lid on the food bin. Now, I'm going to stop him right there because, yeah, you, you have to be. Uh, we live with a complete... Um, <laughs> <laughs> trash panda of a cat. <laughs> trash panda of a cat called Larry, who will eat six packets of cat food yep. and half of a bag of dry food and if like left unattended. The end of an aubergine. Yeah, he's done that before. Yeah. I think he just likes to chomp. He's just, he grew up on the streets. He has, streets, yeah. 
his survival instinct is finally honed to what, what did we say eating old kebabs yeah yeah Kebabs. Yeah. That was his diet before he yeah. came to live yeah, with us. Yeah, we decided that that's canon. <laughs> Kebab boy. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he says, I was about to reach in and grab the scoop, but I looked in the bin first. This is the chicken food bin, just so that we don't, you know, mm-hmm. completely veer off topic. And this is a thread. So he goes, and this is what I saw. I freaked out. Hugh, look at that. <gasps> I know. Um, the picture is of something kind of fuzzy and textured. At first glance, it looked like the food had grown mouldy, having been exposed to the rain. But when I looked more carefully, I could see it was moving almost imperceptibly. And it's clearly in like a big kind of steel outside bin. Um, I got my family to come out and investigate and it was an animal seemingly fast asleep. It, Yeah, very much so. I feel like I'm reading a kid's story. It doesn't matter, does it? It's nice. Uh, this, well, we are recording this at night, and I am being put to sleep by this. I'm also <laughs> drinking sleepy tea as well. So yeah, oh, you're the um, bear on the box of sleepy I am tea. The bear. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the next tweet starts badger emoji uh, exclamation point. <laughs> no doubt about it, a badger sound asleep in the food bin. Um, and he goes on to say that he waits. Okay, he's like, well, I'm not going to fill up the food bin and confuse this badger by putting a load of chicken feet on top of him. Um, Oh, I also can't think of the expression chicken feed without thinking of Boris Johnson. It's awful. Because he commented Ugh, about his newspaper salary being yeah. chicken feed at one point. And I'm like, not so chicken feed now, is it, Bojo? You're the one who is like, oh, someone paid for my redecoration. Keep mm. it light. Anyway, um, so <laughs> it, what he plots to do, and he's got like an outdoor kind of like security camera and you can see footage of it on this. What he plots to do is to go and tip the barrel, <laughs> not tip, we're not badger tipping here. Um, turn the barrel over onto its side Gently. and then moving away really quickly. Yeah. But he turns the barrel over quickly. No, slowly, slowly. He's not He's not um, circulating the badger. Hi, Larry. What? Oh, Sorry. Larry's coming to join us. Our, own, our own badger has come in. Um, don't make cat noises into the microphone, Hugh. That's Sorry. bad techers. Um, so he goes outside and lays the barrel on its side and he says... I needn't have been so quick to run away because 10 minutes later, <laughs> this badger was high on the hog. Just He'd been eating chicken feed. He'd been chilling. He takes 10 minutes to like wake up and crawl out of this barrel. And he was doing it arse first. Well, he says tail first, but I'm going to say what I want. Yeah. Um, Larry, get off the cupcakes. I told you. Larry. Thank you. Um, and he pokes his way out of the barrel tail first and then just goes eventually head first and kind of carries on out. And they were like, it turned out to be a gigantic badger. So and big. there's some good footage of the gigantic badger snuffling around. It's he an seems, excellent thread. He seems bigger than the barrel when he comes out, like, yeah. I have to say. Obstacle illusion. So he's got a badger <clears throat> proof that chicken feed now. Got to do it. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, this badger cannot continue to, you know, live high on the hog on his own terms. <laughs> he can. Yeah. Do what he wants. But yeah, we stand. <laughs> We stand a confident and cosy uh, autumnal badger. It's like all of those very nice bits of art you see on Instagram at this time of year. Yes, Richard Co- Scarry style kind of like, yeah, but like cosy woodland animals. Less hard lines than Richard Scarry. Like yeah. cosy woodland animals living in tree trunks, typing away on their little animal laptops, going like mm, yeah. me working from home, you know, all those mm. things. Mm. We've seen them before. Anyway, mm. check it out. We'll post a link. Thanks, uh, Mr. Mr. Math. Yes, Mr. Math from Oxford. Yes. And now onward to our lovely chat with oh, Ellie. Before we do, oh. can I just give a very brief um, honourable mention for tweets? Okay, speed up the tweets jingle yeah, like, they yeah, do, yeah. like they do for Pompadour <laughs> on a... <laughs> like they do for Pompadour on three bean salad. <laughs> tweets. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, in the last <laughs> week or so, uh, when you know the week of recording this, um, a tweet did the rounds, and uh, being in that rare sort of Venn diagram of football fans and fans of uh, drag and drag race. Um, the uh, oh, what video, a beautiful, what a I know. beautiful Venn diagram. Yeah, 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 Gorgeous. Yeah. Oh. A video came up of Hot Drag stuff. Race Italia. Uh, featuring a footballer um, by the name of Ciro Immobile, who is um, a very prominent Italian footballer who plays in Italy, um, who was a guest judge on the Italian version of Drag Race, which was pretty amazing. Was that with his with his lady with, partner? I think with his wife or partner. Um, it was just a clip without any English subtitles, but, you know, just like... Um, Oh, it might have had some English subtitles. But anyway, we will post a link to uh, this video if it's still up, you know, because it is like a, a show. It might have been taken down. <laughs> but um, Sorry, just... I'm just looking at the Drag Race Italy uh, Twitter feed, which mm, says, mm, Pazia Ufficial di Drag Race Italia. And I'm like, oh, just everything about this is so good. And I, I just it. want to say, it's just a great, simple bit of allyship from, from Chiro, who is captain of Lazio, who I'm not going to go into detail, but they are not known for their progressive politics, let's put it that way. Um, they are, you know... Uh, not that. Uh, they have historic and current sort of very sort of uh, toxic um, fans, let's put it that way. Issues. Yeah, but he's captain of this team and he's decided to just go out there and be, you know, a guest judge on a um, prominent show about... And I think the Queens were saying, you know, oh, this means a lot. Like, yeah. hey, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. thanks for coming. And someone quote tweeted this and said, you know, this means more than um, uh, former uh, football ally uh, Jordan Henderson just wearing rainbow laces and then sacking it all off to go and play in Saudi. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. this is actual allyship. This is, you know... Well, it seemed like an exchange, didn't it? Not, yeah, an not exchange. Like, yeah, yeah. Not like a languages not a exchange, gesture. but like a, yeah. an exchange in the dialogue. Anyway, that's my... Um, and fabulous gowns. That's my my uh, that's my honourable mention for tweets. Thank you. I would like to watch Drag Race Italia. Can we... Oh, yeah. It'll be, it'll be amazing. Yeah. Okay. Let's arrange it. Let's do it. Anyway. Anyway, now it's time for our chat with Ellie. So, we have fed the cats early. We've turned off the oven, which has got roasted vegetables in it. We are on a Zoom call. Everyone's ready and has their mushrooms in the right place. <laughs> that will make sense in a minute. Um, and I'd love to introduce everybody to Ellie, aka Take It Up, Wear It Out. Hello, Ellie. Hello, how are you? We are so, so good. Um, and it is the week just after the clocks have changed. Mm. And this feels like a really nice kind of like autumnal topic to discuss. Like it's dark outside, but we're going to talk a little bit about nature and all the rest of it. It's going to be good. Yeah. 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 I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Hugh keeps being like, oh, Ellie, Ellie does everything. What, what does Ellie do? She does everything. What is it? Um, so maybe we'll start there. Yeah. Because yeah? Um, so, you have this wonderful um, Instagram page and blog and all these things, Ellie, um, which is called Take It Up, Wear It Out, which is a good one for um, if you Google it, it's just you who comes up. Like none of this I other stuff. did good. pick it on purpose. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We love that. Um, so, well, what's behind the name, I guess? Or is it easier to say what, what, you, what you do first? Your choice. <laughs> so I'm a um, textile artist. I'm a costume maker by trade. And then textile art is kind of what Take It Up, Wear It Out is all about. Um, I started the Instagram and the blog in 2017 as a kind of way of sort of tracking my 
journey into kind of sustainable and ethical fashion, which kind of came about in part because of my job as a costume maker, where, you know, I know how long it takes to make a garment, how difficult that is, you know, what a skilled occupation it is. And I kind of started thinking, especially after the um, Rana Plaza factory collapse in 2013, where a, a factory in Bangladesh collapsed, killing over a thousand um, garment workers and injuring about 2,500 others. Um, I was thinking, you know, it's so in a way hypocritical of me that I expect, you know, a decent wage, I get my overtime pay, I get my breaks, you know, I can live in a capital city on my salary. And the people who are making my clothes can't afford to eat, they can't afford to live near their children, you know, they're working 16-hour days, mm. compulsory overtime. There's no health and safety at their workplaces. They're subject to bullying, discrimination. And I thought, how can I justify ask, you know, asking for what I feel is like completely normal kind of working circumstances while I'm not giving other people with my same skill set the same kind of you know, decency and, you know, I'm expecting them to work in these horrible conditions making cheap clothes for me. So I've, I stopped buying um, sort of fast fashion, high street fashion, and started looking at kind of sustainable and ethical alternatives and kind of really got quite into the weeds in this kind of interesting world and kind of all of the tangents you can go on. So I think sort of take it up, wear it out, has kind of multiple meanings. Obviously, it's kind of encouraging people to take up sewing or making yeah. and to proudly wear the things that they make or alter. Um, I think it's also as a little play on kind of being happy to alter your clothes, kind of realising that high street clothes aren't actually going to fit many of us very well at all because they're just made in generic sizes. <laughs> Laughs in size 22. <laughs> no, no, they do not. <laughs> not for anyone. And you could be a size eight and be like, nothing fits me. Like, that's the most ridiculous thing as well. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's so many, so many kind of pitfalls to buying high street clothes and expecting them to fit you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the other idea sort of behind wear it out is this sort of simple piece of advice that I give to people if they ask, like, what's one thing I can do to be ethical and sustainable without spending any money is literally just to wear your clothes. Yeah. Which sounds like stupid advice, really, because that sort of for kind of old generations, like, well, of course, that's what you do. <laughs> but with the kind of advent of fast fashion, it's become more and more part of their kind of marketing ploy that clothes are just thrown away yeah. almost as soon as they've been worn. Nightmare. So I've gotten into this a little bit in terms of like visible mending and wanting to do things like that with things that I own or things that my, my late mum owned and wanting to kind of, oh, the moth's got it. Well, I can do something with it and then maybe I'll sell it or maybe I'll wear it or something. Um 
But while you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, we have this responsibility to wear our clothes and actually, you know, use them because we have them. So what are you going to do? Throw it away or just forget about it? Um, but <laughs> at work, so I work at a university and um, I think some people like wearing clothes with holes in. I don't know. Maybe it's like not even just intentionally designed ones, but like there are some people in the drama department that I, I work with. I'm not in drama, but I work with them and like they have holes in their clothes. And I like I keep asking them, oh, can I mend that for you? Like which is slightly over familiar and overbearing of me. Um, I do admit that. But also I'm like, oh, but it's it's part of my creative practice as like <laughs> someone who has lots of long, dark evenings, like where I just want to do stuff and be useful. Um, and at least one person has gone, well, I fished this out of the lost property box anyway. And I just, I, I don't think the, the holes are, the ho and I'm like, oh, I get it. Like it's a thing, right? Okay. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting because um, Balenciaga did a collection a few years ago that uh, my friend and her partner found hilarious because there were jumpers with holes in that cost, you know, sort of several thousand pounds or dollars, depending on yeah. where you look at the website from. And Tash was really laughing. She said, you know, Rob's Rob's got this jumper that's, you know, yeah. 10 years old and he hasn't mended it because it's his you know, going Balenciaga for Balenciaga Yeah, Balenciaga <laughs> style sweater. <laughs> and the dogs maybe chewed it a bit, but like that's by the by. It's fashion, you know. darling. <laughs> but something oh that's kind God. of interesting about that as a trend is mm. obviously it's only accessible by the very wealthy, but it's almost this kind of poverty chic, which I think is... Kind Just of thinking about Zoolander now. <laughs> it's, it's it's like fetishizing poverty, absolutely. Yeah. Oh god, which is yeah. which is really problematic considering a lot of people in Britain live in clothing poverty. Like there's the shareware mm -hmm. scheme that attempts to provide um, clothing for um, families who are struggling, and obviously, if you are struggling with clothing poverty or not being able to clothe your children the thought of sending your children to school in uniforms yeah. with holes in yeah. is absolutely anathema to you it's the last thing you would ever want to do so it's yeah it feels problematic mm. to me in a way that it's sort of being devised as a high-end kind of couture look mm -hmm. and also the kind of irony that you're buying this brand new garment that's already been damaged. Someone's got literally an unpicker, like a bit of kit from a sewing machine, or sewing a sewing box or whatever, and has gone right, ch ch you know, like take all the bits off of it. Like, right, we've got to slit that there. We've got to do this here. And that's not about wear. That's not about the things that I love about clothing where you can see that they have holes in because they're at the elbows or because, um, yeah, so Celia Pym, I don't know if you if you follow her at all. But, oh, um, yes, she's wonderful. And, yeah. Yeah, and like um, artists like Celia who will, um, f or uh, the other one, uh, uh, I'll come back to it. I'll think of this lady who I've got books by. Um, oh, Kate Sekulis. Not Kate. No, it's a. D oh, damn it. No, my brain. Um, note to self and everybody else. This is Nancy from the future saying um, the person I was thinking of was Flora Collingwood Norris, um, who I have got lots of books of and does amazing work in terms of embroidering moth holes. We will drop a link to her in the 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 notes. What do we call them? Pod notes. Bye. But yeah, like the idea that you want to be wearing um, 
you, you wear an item, you inherit it maybe from your granddad or whatever, and it shows exactly where he lent on his workbench and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Like, it's it's about how a garment was worn. In fact, Hugh, we've got a good example here today. Uh, Hugh does a lot of cooking. Therefore, his arm is covered in turmeric on this bright, <laughs> bright white jumper. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a combination of like turmeric and butternut squash. Oh, I think that'll never come out. You can't Absolutely. really see it in the light. Yeah. I'll, good, mend, I'll mend it. Home dying going on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. uh-huh. we'll, oh, we got to talk about dying in a minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is his Trixie Mattel merchandise, uh, which he has. He's royally. If it had makeup on it, that would be more Trixie. That's true. Actually, I could pretend this is makeup. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, but yeah, the um, <laughs> the high fashion couture side of things. <laughs> just going yes well of course you know it's very uh it's it's taking this it's taking this da, 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 da. it's not a world i'm familiar with but it just it's very zoolander like yeah <laughs> where they I have think... dressing up like homeless people going like it's... oh this is uh mm. derelict, derelict yeah awful, <laughs> awful i think it's very different if you're wearing your clothes and you're showing your your own kind of clothing you know it, it's kind of wear and tear patterns i don't yeah. think that falls into kind of poverty porn or poverty chic that feel because that's real because it that's what tells a story doesn't it I love absolutely it. i think or um orsola de castro has spoken really beautifully um in her books and on her instagram about um some of her creative practice which is um kind of embellishing like the moth holes on a ah. um on a cardigan or something with crochet so you're actually enhancing your kind rather than trying to cover over the hole with some mending you're kind of making obvious that the hole is there but kind yeah. of making a, a feature of it which i really love oh, i like that yeah that's i know and i mean sometimes that's the easiest way to repair something is just go around the outside and then you're ready to go and if it's a big big cozy jumper it doesn't matter if it's got a bit of a hole in it it's fine um but what you were saying about poverty, literally in the UK, you know, like one of the one of the wealthy places of the world, um, you know, come come to me, fashion houses, when you show um, when you show garments that are mouldy and smell, you know, that's what poverty mm. is. Like that's what re- the reality is for schools going for school kids going, you know, out and about in their daily business in you know housing that isn't isn't. Um, Heat, fit heat, for human habitation, yeah. Fit for human habitation. It's got mould on the walls. It's got, you can't literally, you can buy anything that you can afford to buy, but it will go to absolute ruin in, in a week inside your, your mouldy wardrobe, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's where, yeah, Balenciaga, yeah. I told them. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, from a really kind of dark sort of central place and like, the underlying bit of scaffolding for all of us in the clothes that we buy on the high street is, you know, Rana Plaza is one example, one horrific example. And thank you for reminding me the scale of that, because I'd forgotten, completely forgotten. It is quite shocking. It was it was 10 years ago. And I think it's sort of fallen from the kind of collective consciousness. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people who are kind of in the fashion world, or especially in the sustainable and ethical fashion world, they know about it and they're constantly talking about it. Like that's the reason that the um, the organisation Fashion Revolution was set up, and they're all about um, a sort of um, creating transparency within the fashion industry, so people can actually understand yeah. where their garments come from. So their kind of main campaign is um, who made my clothes. So the ah, idea is you yes. take a photo of the label on your garment and you 
tweet it or Instagram it to that kind of tagging in that brand and say yeah. who made my clothes. Yeah. And the idea is to get more and more brands to say where their clothes are made, but not just where the clothes are made. It's also where they're dyed, where they're finished, even things like where the um, cotton comes from. Because there used to be big issues with um, uh, school children in Uzbekistan being taken out of school to kind of pick the cotton um, in, I think, their sort of autumn term wouldn't be a school term it would be a going to the cotton fields and picking cotton term yeah. and I think the the kind of awareness of that has actually reduced a lot of that child labour exploitation it's spotlighting now, it and going oh, are we aware that thousands of people are involved in this <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, get, to get your pair of socks like <laughs> but now of course there's a problem in um China with the um, exploited labour of the Uyghur Muslim population, so who are also involved in um, essentially like sort of slave labour, cotton picking and production. Is that being highlighted by literally aerial photography at this point? Because there's no way that that information can come out. I mean, I I think, you know, not just forced labour and all the rest of it, but like literally camps and all, and you know, like massive. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't actually know how organisations are getting this um, this information, I assume. Yeah, possibly drone photography or local journalists risking kind of life mm. and limb to yeah. convey these facts sort of out of the local area. And we know what crops grow where and what industries have been in which areas of the world. So then it's kind of going, okay, okay which conflicts are happening where and which bits of poverty and industry are kind of like interacting with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've diverted this down the, um, we have a friend called um, Ashley Gullen and he has um, an expression which is the Gullen spiral of doom, which is <laughs> whenever, whenever like several members of his family get together and have a chat, they're like, right, okay. Oh, how did we end up here? It's awful. Um, but we've ended up here for relevant reasons. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say was we've got this this kind of like spark of impetus alongside your other kind of experiences and, you know, um, thoughts about the way the world's going that's kind of driven you to do, right, let's talk about what we wear, how we wear it, where does it end up? <laughs> mm. And, um, you know, just kind of how are we, into, especially as Londoners, how are we interacting with our natural and built environment around us because that's one thing about the wandle the river wandle which i'll i'll just introduce the lady here lady wandle um is that i I completely forgotten that loads of it is made of concrete as well so you're like Mm. oh interesting what is going on there Hugh, if you can follow any of this, well done, because... I've seen the River Wandle before. That's No, 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 but I'm just, I don't even, I'm not making sense anymore. So Ellie, <laughs> all this negative stuff in the world, all these difficulties and these difficult ways of being um, around fashion and clothing and, you know, just art and textiles all coming together have inspired you to go, okay, take it out, wear it out. What kinds of work do you do? What, what, what sorts of projects do you take on and do for the, for the passion of it, I suppose? Yeah, so I'm really interested in kind of having these conversations, but often the kind of the doom spiral is a huge <laughs> kind of barrier for a lot of people to connect. I kind of hope that the listeners to your podcast have kind of listened through listened through this bit and kind of got to the, you know, this is going to be like the nice fun bit now. Yes. <laughs> um but I think one of the 
yeah, one of the things that I realised is this is, it's quite a hard conversation to have with people because often people feel more emotionally attached to, you know, the idea of what they're wearing, saying something about them. Like you want to say, I'm cool, I'm in the in crowd, I follow trends, or, you know, I'm a supporter of this football team, or I'm... Or I like like this drag queen. Or I love Trixie Mattel. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I think when, if you tell people that the way their clothes are made is bad and they should feel bad... Mm -hmm they can become very defensive. They're not into taking on board that message because it's it's honestly a horrible thing to find out. And it's been, you know, it's been difficult for me to find these things out and to realise that I was saying things with what I was wearing or how I was choosing to kind of buy and kind of create my wardrobe that mm. maybe say, you know, things about me that I didn't want to say about myself. Mm. Hence the you know the way that I've kind of changed my my buying habits now, but if you're if you're not able to have this kind of long drawn out conversation with people where you explain all these nuances and you can kind of engage with someone who's willing to listen, you kind of need a sort of interesting kind of funny weird way of getting people to think about maybe like the relationships they have with their clothes, the kind of consumer culture that we live in, even if it's not something that necessarily smacks them around the face with the message, it's something that they take away and it kind of percolates and they think, oh, that was interesting. You know, maybe like a few weeks later and it kind of starts to sort of maybe affect their behaviour or they just sort of, you know, think, oh, I'm going to look a bit more deeply into this subject now now talking about that carrot and that kind of hook whether it's like a visual or a conversational hook um i'm going to show you um it's at the top of your um instagram feed as we record um and it is um a little repost of one of your projects which is um part of the mr x stitch contemporary needlework prize 2023 uh fire emoji yeah correct um (laughs) so they had this this um in this in this competition they had um a 3D textiles category. This is an image that I'm showing you. It's of a lady who is reaching up to the sky. There's a big kind of bare tree behind her. There's grass on the ground. And she's wearing this, it looks like um, kind of like a, com- a dress composed of like different different colours of rag fabric um, coming out in lots of different angles and kind of really moving as she moves around in the shot and she's being photographed. Um, and I'll just, it's that one. Ta-da. You, you, you're familiar. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about that as a bit of a, an example of what you were just talking about. Yeah, of course. So I should just say that I did not win in any category of the Mr. X Stitch um, Contemporary Needlework it, Prize. That doesn't but stop he, the fire emoji being there. Like, amazing, amazing, <laughs> amazing. Love it. But he, he very kindly um, did a spotlight post about my work on their grid, which mm. I was really excited about because the quality of work in that prize if you want to go and look at I will some incredible contemporary needlework go and have a look at the Mr X Stitch grid and just be amazed honestly is there a physical show that I can I can drag Hugh along to because that'd be really nice (laughs) sadly not that I know of at the moment but I would I would stay tuned because he has been part of the um 
British textile biennial in the past. So oh, which is a very you big never deal. Know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Amazing. So this piece, what 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 is this piece called? So this piece is called Unnatural. Yeah. And it was part of a project that I did last year, actually for the um tenth anniversary of the Rana Plaza factory collapse. Um the exhibition that I did up in Manchester was called Discarded and the idea was to make things out of clothes from ultra fast fashion brands so brands like Boohoo, Misguided, Pretty Little Thing. All of these are familiar names when you think about Rana Plaza yeah yeah and they um they all have their headquarters in um Manchester Mm -hmm. so the idea was to take these clothes that had been discarded almost before they'd even been worn. Like Most of them were brand new with tags in charity shops. Mm-hmm. Some of them were from um, clothes swaps and a couple of things I found in the street. But the idea was to give these clothes a kind of new lease of life yeah. in this sort of enormous piece of wearable art where you can almost kind of you can start to feel the weight of these very kind of insignificant kind of flimsy garments. But I was really interested in turning these kind of synthetic items into natural forms. Mm. So a lot of them are kind of flowers, leaves, um, sort of Yeah, it really looks natural. It's, it's like, it's quite a wide shot, this photo, but you can see if you sort of do a little little finger pinch, zoom in, you're like, the midsection, it's got these amazing kind of floral colours. And then we have talked about mushrooms today a few times. And we'll keep, we'll keep doing so. Something yeah. mushroom <laughs> style. Uh, yeah, the fronds and that kind of thing. Yeah, And the shape as well overall, I think is really cool. Is fronds yeah. the right word there? I think it is. Yeah, say. I was kind yeah. of thinking of like roots or like the kind of mycelial network That's sort of spreading word, from word, the bottom of word. the garment yeah. kind Hell of down yeah. into the soil. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. And um and did it what was the process of, of of um kind of creating that that wearable art? What was that process like for you? So the first couple of weeks I was just going round all my local charity shops. So I went round um, I'm down in southwest London, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so around Croydon, um, Wallington, Carshalton, Tooting, Morden, um, kind of, you know, wherever there were charity shops sort of locally, yeah. found anything I could from these brands with sort of brand new with tags. Yeah. Um, took everything home, photographed it just sort of as as it was, just on a big piece of cardboard on the floor. And then kind of started thinking about almost kind of letting the garment speak to me. So Mm. kind of looking at the different features of the garment, thinking how I could use it to kind of create some sort of natural form. So the the root pieces were uh, ribbed jumpers. So I cut kind of vertically up the ribs and then knotted Yes. all the separate pieces and it, together and it can it could probably just the weight of it could just twist it in 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 the way that you wanted to yeah oh man that's great yeah that was a satisfying thing to do in yes. front of the television <laughs> and then other um other things like i found a, a top that had 
a pink snakeskin print on it. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought of the um, snake's head fritillary flower that comes out in the spring. So that was kind of a perfect, I sort of, you know, vaguely copied that into it. You sort of cut the petal shapes. That and... sounds far too exotic for like a UK flower. That's amazing. Yeah, you can find it. It, um, it's, it grows um, from a bulb, I think. So you can find it. It often gets kind of planted in, you know, in with sort of daffodils and kind of things like that. So it comes up at about the same time. But it's it's beautiful. And it has the these wonderful kind of flowers that sort of hang down from a very fine stem. And they honestly look like they're little kind of snake print sort of flowers they're really incredible so yeah I was kind of really inspired like making making this garment during the spring by all of these kind of new flowers that were coming up and sort of really getting the idea kind of as I handled the garments kind of what what they might be useful for Now, that is such an interesting process. And um, going on the story of this amazing, amazing artwork, Unnatural. um, Oh, my gosh, it looks so much more like mushrooms every time I look at it. It's amazing. Um, And did you make that with the um, the prize uh, in mind or like as a project with an aim, an end point? How did that go? I I actually didn't. The prize kind of came up later and I, I entered it just sort of thinking oh this might be this would be an interesting thing to enter yeah. also because I'd spent so so long on it I kind of wanted lots of people to see it it's taken but up it's, all the room in your flat you were like right <laughs> we have to make something of this it really yeah it really did it took over took over my life for a, a couple of months um because I was working on it sort of evenings and weekends so a lot of the elements were all sort of hand sewn in front of the tv and then kind of pieced together onto a sort of base garment Uh, so the idea was to make it for this exhibition that I had up in um, Manchester Mm. with um, Manchester Fashion Movement who had a pop-up shop that is sadly now closed called Kiosk in the um, Salford Keys shopping centre. The idea was to kind of almost create this utopian vision for something that's quite dystopian like the idea of these clothes being thrown away before Mm. they've even been worn the kind of idea that the clothes sort of never get to fulfill their destiny as clothes Mm. but also this kind of deep disrespect to the garment workers who have you know worked 16 hour days in terrible conditions making these things that people think of as disposable and I kind of wanted to create almost a sort of utopian vision of what could what could be made from our waste if people were allowed to be artisans rather than these sort of you know um poorly paid kind of factory workers who only get to work on like one tiny bit of a garment at a time to speed the process up mm. what if everyone got to kind of have some sort of amazing creative input into what they make what if garments could be something incredibly kind of complex and interesting rather than making very simple garments because that's the cheapest thing to make. So that's kind of what gets made at the moment. And I I don't know if if this is kind of utopian or dystopian. It kind of felt like it could sort of go either way. Yeah. The idea that these, a lot of these garments are made from um, synthetic 
fibres which come from oil. But oil is originally um, algae that's been kind of compressed in this kind of anaerobic environment for millions of years. Mm. So this thing that has been part of the earth for millions of years suddenly gets sucked out by humans, made into a plastic polymer, woven into a garment, stitched, Mm. and then it's never worn and it goes into a landfill where it will take kind of thousand years to degrade Whereas something like a cotton garment, the cotton will take a few months to grow. It'll be processed, it'll be worn, and it could break down in you know a kind of compostable environment mm-hmm. fairly quickly in about a year. So it's this sort of idea of, should our fashion system somehow be taking something that has taken sort of great epochs of the earth to create using them for this split second of nothing Mm. and then sort of being discarded like to me that's such an unnatural way of using the planet's resources and yet it's become so normal not even just in the garment industry but in terms of you going i was trying to think about kind of like i've been thinking about food and shopping and like food creation and cooking and you know all of that sort of thing quite a lot lately because I love my food it's very important to me Um, and um, I just think about you know when my mum was a kid there would not have been a supermarket full of everything there would not have been peppers on a shelf you know wrapped in plastic anything wrapped in plastic do you know what I mean like (laughs) she would talk about um at the butchers they used to have two butchers in town and she would go to the one that didn't have a cat that always sat on top of the bacon slicer. Her mum, her mum, her mum would be like, "We're not going to Incredible. that one, right? Go, <laughs> like with the cat that, bacon." Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you know that that was where we were within like a, a tiny hop back in time, absolutely tiny. Um, Basically, and, a couple of generations. If it's that. nuts. Yeah. And like yeah, again, just putting grapes in cellophane in a plastic box. Again, you're like, hang on, wait, what? But you would be looked at. Um, as some kind of a kook and in fact you are looked at as some kind of a kook broadly if you sort of reject those things and it's really hard to reject those things or to be part of the movement that changes it we have had a zero waste shop in our local borough go bust as of this week such a shame Um, yeah and they, they were doing good stuff you know did I check it out? No, because I always get my shopping on the way home in my car or we get it delivered by, by Big Tesco in their in their delivery van because otherwise I can't eat healthily because I'm not I don't have the time and I don't make it work that way. Yeah. And it's like there is a certain degree of personal choice involved and there are things that we can have these conversations with the people in our lives or the people that walk past the art pop-up that we're doing. There are things that we can all converse about and do, but we're not in charge. <laughs> like, no. We're not in charge of any of these things, which is the scary bit, which brings me to your thesis statement on, like in a nice way, a nice thesis statement, um, under another one of your posts that was to do with unnatural. Um, and you're talking about regenerative fashion, which is thinking about that difference. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of putting, putting the pieces together, but the difference between maybe that cotton garment 
and that um, synthetic or synthetic containing garment and sort of what happens before it's made, after it's made, 200 years after it's made. And I'm I'm also not naive enough to think, oh yeah, cotton's brilliant. Like I really love cotton, but also cotton and denim, don't they take so many, so many gallons of water to, to kind of do anything with? Yeah. Unfortunately, the there are no perfect there are <laughs> no. no perfect fibres. There's no simple I mean the simple solution to this whole issue is for the fashion in- industry to produce far less. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be something that they're unwilling to address like I wish I could tell people only buy garments made from this fiber or only buy garments that have been produced in this way but sadly mm. there isn't there mm. isn't that kind of magic bullet that we can mm. use but with regenerative fashion I mean it's a really interesting kind of theme to think about and the way that you've described it here and we will, we will reshare and you know kind of um try and try and give your your text as much of an airing as me like butchering it just trying to read it out and, and get to grips with it but um you're talking about well what could regenerative fashion look like and it, it it comprises all these things and more you know it's it's only instagram we can't put all the text we want on it but you know farmers being in charge of their crops deciding what to plant when and where everyone in the industry is paid a living wage and we mean everyone like what what even would that look like i don't think that's ever happened um but yeah could it um overproduction stops full stop very yeah i agree um (laughs) and it goes on and on and on like it's these are all things that we don't think about because we don't have time but actually we don't we more broadly speaking we don't have time (laughs) unless we start to think about these things absolutely Um, and is there i mean i've i've kind of just just done a very quick skip over regenerative fashion but was there anything you wanted to add and sort of like kind of flesh out and help me understand it a bit better (laughs) i think yeah that sort of it's quite interesting because a generation ago fast fashion didn't exist and now we're acting like it's the only possible business model unless you want we couldn't possibly oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah that unless you want to buy couture and i think the the kind of extreme availability of fast fashion has made people think that that's what clothes ought to cost. Mm. Well, I, I couldn't one afford of- it. I couldn't afford that. Why are you telling me I've got to do it that way? Like that's in every, huh, I hope it doesn't come onto your comment section too much, but that's what you find under a lot of stuff about this under articles or whatever. Oh, it's I like- mean, there are, there are people on the internet who talk in this space a lot and I'm thinking of um Arja Barber specifically who wrote oh, an incredible yeah. book um called Consumed that you should all check out but the amount of abuse that this poor person receives from simply stating what is true is essentially that fast fashion brands have convinced us that they're somehow doing some kind of great favour to the world by providing these incredibly cheap garments. Whereas actually what we're doing if we buy those garments is participating in the exploitation of other workers. And we have so much more in common with those workers than we do with the kind of handful of billionaires Mm. who run these fast fashion brands. And what we should really be asking rather than 
attacking one another is asking billionaires everywhere, why can't they pay people a living wage? Mm -hmm. If they're a billionaire, why can't they pay their staff, you know, the factory workers, say, in Bangladesh, why can't they pay them a living wage? Mm. Billionaires in the US, why can't they pay US citizens a living wage? Why are, you know, why are people in Britain struggling to make ends meet when they have a job, when they have a full-time job? People, you know, it's, it's a really difficult thing to kind of come to grips with because... Yeah to understand that other people in the kind of fashion system are being exploited. I think to a certain extent, if we're saying the only thing we can possibly afford to buy is fast fashion, then we are probably being exploited too because I can afford to buy better and I'm not on a high salary mm-hmm. that's sort of the other the other end of the wedge is that people say i can't afford it i have to buy from this shop that shop mm. but do you really need the amount of clothes that you think you need or do you only need that because all the fashion magazines all the instagram posts say must have the website says must have you're being told this is what's trendy now, you need it, you want it, you must buy it. And then this happens every week because ultra-fast fashion brands are bringing out new lines every week. Yeah. Or new, They oh God, they call it a new drop, don't they? And you're like, oh yeah. God, this is horrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> If you're able to take a step back from that and think, what would that new thing bring to my life is it genuinely going to bring me joy Mm. will I wear it a hundred times will I put it on and think I am the most fabulous person as I wear this thing or will I put it on and think I don't look as cute as x y z person wearing it on the yeah as that influencer who was wearing it I feel sad I feel bad about myself I will buy the next thing Something because that yeah. might be this magic, the, you know, the magic pill that transforms my whole life and makes me rich and happy and successful. Yeah. I would love to see you get paid to collaborate. I'll say get paid first. To get paid <laughs> to, to collaborate with a psychologist in this area because, to be honest, like, oh, it could be the thing. It could be the It could be the thing that makes me feel all of those wonderful feelings and makes me look a different way like that is fashion and that is creative expression via clothing and accessories in a nutshell isn't it like like we all hope Mm, that um absolutely that is what is beautiful about about being a human being and yeah we've got rivers that are full of of boohoo originals like floating down you know and choking whatever wildlife there is in it Mm. like it's there has to be a way of reckoning with those things like we can be addicted to almost anything can't we and it's because we're prompt like our brain is telling us so it will do that thing for you whatever it is you want um you have to wear clothes every day you have to eat food every day you can't go to well maybe you can go to over buyers of of fast fashion anonymous that would be good wouldn't it um (laughs) but that would be everyone in the 
global north, probably. <laughs> it sure would. Um, so, so like to crack that nut and go, okay, well, how do you rehab your relationship with image and clothing and all of those things? It's really hard. We've never, we've never had a good one, I don't think, in this country since I've been growing up anyway like it's you know yeah it is a really it's a really difficult subject as well and it's it's such an emotive subject and I think it kind of requires you looking at yourself in quite an objective way Mm. which I think in a sense I have quite a good kind of background for that because as a costume maker yeah I'm not looking at bodies and judging them I'm looking at bodies as you know a a series of shapes dictated by you know to me by a series of measurements and those series of measurements to me aren't a source of judgment they're literally the kind of the building blocks I need to create an outfit that will fit that person exactly But because of, you know, the way that media trains us to think we need to look a certain way, we need to have a certain figure, and also how that certain figure changes over time. If you look back through history, there have been so many different idealised body types, and obviously they change depending on kind of ethnic backgrounds and geographic locations, like the the kind of ideal looks in the global north aren't necessarily mm-hmm. the ideal looks elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So Or just access access to whales. Like yeah. <laughs> as in as in the, the large sea dwelling mammal. Yeah. Um <laughs> rather than Welsh whales. Um because then you can put like massive amounts of boning into corsets and it's like, great, mm. we'll make money of it this way. Let's do it. Like that that was just the first example that jumped into my head, I'm afraid. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we've been We've been kind of manipulating the human body, but I think especially the female body, Mm. into these kind of idealised shapes for so long. And of course, in the past, we were using, we were mostly just using the clothing to manipulate the human body into the shapes. Mm. Whereas in the 20th century, we started using exercise, we started using surgery to transform the body into these idealised shapes and the kind of clothing that is available now I mean so much of it is stretch so the idea is you know it's not going to fit you exactly you pull it over Mm. your own body Mm. and the body that you have created or not I was about to say curated, but actually no I do mean curated by going to the gym by going on a fatty diet or whatever that is yeah. the body that this garment kind of adheres to and it's so it's interesting to me I think Valerie Steele speaks about this in her book about the corset that <laughs> for centuries we used corsets to create this idealized female body shape but now we're expected to do it with our own flesh and muscle and it's you know it's another way of expecting people to conform to societal norms and that just dri- that drives people into the lap of fast fashion and yeah. there are people at the top who are getting extremely rich from everyone else's 
dissatisfaction mm. and, you know, their worries about how they look or whether they look right or whether they're wearing the right outfit or yeah. whether they're kind of conforming to the right societal norms. Yeah. I'm actually really excited. There's a, a book out by um, an amazing author called Emma Dabiri. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her surname right, but she wrote... She um, Irish? An, yeah, she wrote yes, an incredible yeah. book um, called Don't Touch My Hair. Yeah. And she's got a new book out called Disobedient Bodies. Um, so I, I think she's... I haven't got my hands on a copy of it yet, but I'm um, awaiting it as a birthday present. And I think she will probably touch on this sort of topic and the idea of dress codes and the kind of socioeconomic and kind of racist and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. classist problems that are also associated with these ideas of having an idealised body type or a dress code that you have mm. to conform to. Yeah. And um, I, I don't think it's likely we're going to get this complaint on this little little fish of a podcast um, or anything we do, because it's very clear where we come from and what we think is cool and what we think is not cool. But um, so often you find people say, oh, leave the politics out of it, for God's sake. Like, can't we just all get on with it? Like, oh, you don't have to make everything political. Like in a lot of in a lot of Facebook groups I'm in, basically, um, <laughs> or have been thrown out of or whatever. Um, but like, <laughs> like you can't you can't separate these things. It's like you, you can't separate what we spend our money on from the bigger political issue of who's making money out of everything and who isn't. Like it's all it <laughs> like clothing is is a wonderful creative thing um and you know it's it's most of it's most of your creative life is kind of based around this it's incredible but you can't ever you can't ever think about <laughs> about it in, in isolation but i think the fashion industry does want us to <laughs> oh, Ide- ideally and i think being being able to say let's leave politics out of this oh. is an incredibly privileged position yeah. because for a lot of people you know it's their it's their livelihoods at stake. It's, you know, whether you can put food on the table it's, or not. It's microplastics from clothing in all of your food in certain areas of the world. Absolutely. Like, in yeah. in the breast milk of yep. nursing parents, yep. in placenta, yep. in sort of pristine Antarctic ice. It's, yeah, it's, it is a global... It is a global issue and unless we kind of all want to be living in a giant swamp of old clothes, we kind of have to really change the way the fashion industry works kind of really quickly because, I mean, I've seen um, footage from the shores near um, Cantamanto Market in Accra in Ghana and there are these kind of horrifying from like a local um dump where a lot of um uh clothes from the global north it's where our fabric recycling goes hey Mm, essentially Mm. yeah Mm. so all of these all of these sort of piles of garments things that aren't good enough for anyone to sell because a lot of the stuff we send over there is just pure unwearable crap yeah it goes to these landfills there isn't the um the funding over there by local councils or 
whoever to kind of maintain these landfills or deal with them. So bits of the landfills fall off into the sea. And there are these kind of huge ropes of kind of synthetic garments um, going into the sea. Obviously, there's a microplastics issue. There's also the issue that these fabrics will absorb any other toxic pollutants that are either in the dump or in the ocean. So they're soaking up any kind of sort of heavy metals, whatever, oil spills, whatever's Stuff from out in dead the ocean. batteries, like imagine that mm. kind of mess, yeah, yeah. And that's that's all being soaked up into the fabrics and then the fabrics are slowly shedding apart yeah. and, you know, turning into these kind of microplastics in the water. So the microplastics are now also full of dangerous chemicals, heavy metals, other things that will make them even more toxic to us. It's a whole new microplastic delivery system. Love that. Just just a horrifying soup. So smart. Oh my God, look at what we've done. Well done us. I think you might have to change the name of this episode to Thanks, I Hate It. (laughs) I know. Um, But rounding up the, like, you know, angsty bit... I always, I, I have this thought occasionally, or I have done, you know, when I've gone into shops in the past, either um, either a fashion, you know, shop, a retailing shop, or um, a charity shop, and you see a garment that is so insane um, that it's it's from, you know, one of the brands, it's following a trend, you, you're like, when was that a trend? Was it 18 months ago? Or what? Like, you look at the label and go, when was this, what type of, what type of, label is it on it from that retailer like how old is this because it's either got holes everywhere and it looks kind of cut up and weird deliberately so or it's a slogan top which has got get ready to bleep this baby on it or something like that you know thinking about the stuff from mean girls where you're like walking around with like an insane like kind of slogan on you and you look at it and go i wonder what the person who made that thinks of us like Mm. (laughs) what are you what are you what do you think we're doing like what do you think i like i found a truly (laughs) extraordinary top while i was um in the charity shops looking for things for um unnatural yeah and it was a white um crop top with sleeves sort of cut off sleeves that were only attached by a couple of stitches under the arms yeah and then it had a sort of side under boob window oh so a little semi-circular cutout from the side seam that would then get maybe sort of a third of the way across your the sort of side kind of underside of your breast before sort of curving back on itself yeah so of course i had to try this thing on and take pictures <laughs> with, with my sports bra on underneath and and a vest like you know yeah, to be fair to pretty little thing who made it it was too small for me but as soon as I put it on the whole thing laddered yeah. because the tape around the under boob side boob cutouts wasn't securely no. sewn on no. and of course because of where the side boob under boob cutout was it was also in the same place that they'd sewn the care label so of course as soon as you put it on the care label shoots out of the (laughs) side boob under boob cutout and this and this care label said um 
Yeah, do what you want. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this garment won't last long enough for you to get your photo for Instagram, let alone going out on a night out. Good luck. <laughs> um, oh, my word. But then the the tail end to that is you think, I think about the person who made it, person, people, and I go, okay, right, wow. And then I think about whoever owns that garment company, you know, <laughs> who's on the Times Magazine rich list of oh, the yeah. year, like very high up, like I think... Ooh, yeah. Yes. At the top. Forbes um, rich list, top 10. And you think, yeah. hmm, 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 interesting. Yes. Anyway, steepling fingers. Hmm. <laughs> Hello again. What happens now is that uh, myself and Ellie start talking a lot about mushrooms, which I'm sure you all want to hear about. However, we're going to make that a little bonus episode, which will be released and this shortly, whenever, whenever we can. Um, because it's a nice little chunk that we can chunk out. And what we're going to move on to now is talking about how it was that I came to know Ellie um, and all the wonderful stuff that she does to do with the River Wandle. And that's been some, I mean, not exactly that project, but it rings the bell with, I mean, how we met, which is that um, uh, my friend Johnny and Libby, um, we went out because uh, Johnny spotted something on Twitter, which was that um, I can't honestly remember which little agency it was or which little borough um, kind of uh, Twitter page it was. But someone said, oh, you can stitch the wandle. There's There are these things that are happening. It's part of a month or it's part of a festival or something. And there are always these little opportunities to say, OK, well, in South London or in, you know, a uh, local Riverside context, um, how can you bring some of some of yourself to it? How can you involve yourself with craft or just with learning from hearing what people bring their expertise to it and all of that kind of thing? So we did this amazing, amazing, well, after long afternoon kind of um uh walking the wandle and seeing it in a completely new way um but yeah um stitch the wandle would you mind describing that i've I've sort of butchered it there but no that's fine yeah that would have been part of um london rivers week that was it yeah this year yeah so uh, i run an occasional workshop um called stitching the wandle and the idea is to take a very slow walk along a very short stretch of the Wandle with kind of breaks in um, a few spots for uh, stitching. The idea is not to necessarily produce an incredible sort of finished piece. It's more like I sort of describe it as like a a kind of two-minute um, sketch a life drawing class like you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to produce a masterwork but you can get this little kind of sketch of the essence of kind of what you're looking at and I I like the idea of kind of specifically um, sort of sketching in fabric or sketching in thread because I think a lot of the time when you think about kind of going out to do artwork in the kind of great outdoors you think of taking um pencil and paper pen charcoal and pastels like being good maybe enough. watercolors yeah. oh yeah that you're yeah. then going to do this beautiful yeah. study of the the whole environment mm-hmm. and it's going to be you know a wonderful kind of turner-esque or sort you, of piece i'm looking at you here are you thinking about the fast show sketch instead <laughs> No, but you are now. Okay, never mind. Um. So, 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 what you end up doing instead is something maybe a little more abstract, but um, yeah, more well, accessible potentially. 
Yeah. I found it super accessible. Yeah. And like, I only stabbed myself with the needle like six times, which was because oh, well I was done. so excited. I was like, ah, I've got to do this fast. <laughs> I've got to try it out. And um, can you introduce another lovely main character, the Wandle Wardrobe? <laughs> yes, of course. So um, the River Wandle, for people who don't know um, South London, flows from um, Carshalton and Croydon, which are boroughs on the sort of the kind of very outskirts of um, the kind of Greater London area. So kind of zone four or five. Mm. Um, the Wandle flows from um, sources in Carshalton and Croydon through the um, Two other boroughs, so Merton and Wandsworth, it flows out into the Thames at um, Wandsworth, near Wandsworth Town train station. Mm. And it flows, it's about a 12-mile long river. Um, it's quite shallow, it's quite fast-flowing, so it's not very good for boats. But because of its shallow and fast-flowing nature, it was very good in the past for turning water wheels. So it was used for various different types of mill so you would have had um flour mills uh you would have had gunpowder mills snuff mills which was like a sort of revolting tobacco that you kind yeah. of snorted i don't really know what victorians were thinking <laughs> um but you also had a lot of um different mills involved in the um kind of textile or textile adjacent industry mm. so you would have had um vellum mills or leatherworking mills so some of these mills would have been producing vellum for paper some Mm. of them would have been producing leather for um, the textile industry for shoemaking for bags for any other kind of leather goods and then there were also um, mills that were milling dye stuffs so logwood which comes from brazil um which creates a beautiful like a very dark um, kind of maroon colour dye, um, cochineal, which are bottles, oh, yeah. um, which produce this incredible red colour. And until recently, uh, we're still mm-hmm. in lipstick. Um, if you red have Smarties, a no- whatever yeah. it is. Sweets, yeah. Yeah, 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 I remember them coming up. <laughs> Growing up as a vegetarian, my mum was always going, oh, they've got cochineal in them. And I was like, what's that? Why would, they, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Poor Beatles. Yeah. yeah, I'm wearing red lipstick today. It is a vegan lipstick. If you have a non-vegan lipstick, I'm sorry, it's probably got Beatles in. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry sorry about that, if you didn't realise. So cochineal <laughs> is Beatles. Um, yeah, so as well as these... Um, these dye mills that were also um, uh, calico bleaching grounds Mm. where um, fabric was bleached from its kind of original sort of beige colour, which is how the um, linen or cotton will kind of originally be. Um, So they'd use the river water to kind of continually wash this sort of bleaching agent from the fabric to kind of get it to go really bright white. And there were also um, printing works. So William Morris and Liberty's both had print works along the Wandle. Um, The Liberty print works, um, the buildings are now um, the Merton Abbey Mills kind of shopping complex. So there's like little independent shops in there. There's really nice like restaurants, cafes. But unfortunately, the William Morris print works is now the giant Sainsbury's and M&S. So it's, no, it's yeah, what he no... wouldn't have wanted. <laughs> Poor <sighs> William Morris. Yeah. So yeah, there's no, there's no remnant of that, but there is a William Morris 
fabric called Wandle, which yeah. is a, li- a little excessive for my tastes, but it is it is a bo- a bold arts and crafts print. He throws everything at it. I was Absolutely. just thinking in Hammersmith, you've got um, the William Morris House, I think, which you can sort of walk past and go, oh, oh it yeah. does look nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what you bring to these sorts of activities, if you if you lead them around in that area and like on the, the sewing, stitching the Wandle session that we did, you bring the Wandle wardrobe, which is a lovely bit of kit. Um, and it was a really nice big part of um, why I enjoyed it so much because it's a suitcase, a lovely suitcase, which has got all the fabric scraps in it from, from honestly, gosh knows what, like <laughs> all the different projects that you've had over time and some naturally dyed uh, thread as well, I remembered. Like, I don't know what it would have been dyed with at that time, um, sort of back in, well, summer this year. Um, but just, it, it, you know, it's like kid in a kid in a sweet shop kind of vibe, Hugh. I was just looking through it going like, ooh, what can we do here? But you, you can't spend too long because you've got to go. You've got to <laughs> go with the flow of the river and go to the next place. Um, but I, I found that a really nice part of it. So, yeah, the Wonder Wardrobe contains all those all those things. Yeah. So the I kind of specifically didn't want to be buying kind of brand new <laughs> things for yeah, these. Yeah, I'm imagining you going to Hobbycraft. <laughs> And go like right, oh, yeah, let's get everything. This, yeah, no, that's it's so <laughs> counter <laughs> to everything we've just discussed. A lot of the the fabric scraps are um, offcuts from upcycling projects that I've done. Uh, there would have been some offcuts from the quilt that I made for my nephew, which was a kind of woodland themed quilt. So I kind of felt like that was that was sort of fairly yeah. Yeah, kind of relevant to sort of the natural forms and things we were looking at. Um, there would also be have been some scraps. I'd done some hawthorn dyeing for a project. Oh, so I got it. some lovely kind of yellows from that. So that probably would have been in there as well. And yeah, and then the embroidery threads that I buy, I'll buy just a big job lot on eBay of, you know, from someone who's kind of giving up embroidery yeah. or, you know, maybe doing a house clearance or something. A shocking so number of those on Facebook Marketplace, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't really sort of get to choose the materials that I have at my disposal, but I kind of find that more interesting in a way because those materials then reveal their the, the destiny that they want to you and you think, oh my mm. God, of course I'm going to yeah. use it for this, this project yeah. or or that project. Well, I found that a hugely enjoyable part of it. Just the kind of what do we bring together to do? What is the and then also you know what is the weather like at this particular place? We're stopping and doing this little bit of stitching and and um, trying to capture the essence of what's going on. And you know it all it all adds up to a lovely special thing that you couldn't get any other way, I suppose. Um, so I really enjoyed it and I would totally recommend if any more of those sorts of events came up. Oh, I'm um, so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm hoping to run yeah. some more um, next year. Obviously, it is kind of weather dependent because you need to be able to sit out Muchos, yes. in a in a kind of outdoor location for 30 minutes and sew, which is pretty miserable if it's raining or kind of almost impossible because everything's just damp and Look, I, g- I gave up. I gave up archaeology for that exact reason. <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. Um, I say this. I never was one, but um, yeah, that was my degree, and I was like, nah, "This is too rainy." Can't oh no, no, not for me. But um, we have to, as as Londoners, we have to understand that we don't just live in London. We live in a natural environment as well as a massively built one, um, and 
yeah, it can be really important to reconnect with those things. And I, I work with teenagers in my in my day job, and I just think, yeah, there's a lot that we don't. Um, there's a lot that we could do to sort of add, draw those things together for well-being and for understanding Mm. you know who you are and what you consume in a it's not just about making someone feel bad about what they do or don't buy or you know um how they do or don't look it's it's thinking about yourself and what your place in the world is all of these topics coming together um and yeah 14 15 year olds should be definitely getting getting some of this this content they won't they won't listen to this but that's fine (laughs) i think that's what's been so special to me about having access to the Wandle as someone who lives in South in South London. And I know people are probably thinking of South London as like, you know, you've got Richmond, you've got Wimbledon, which are these yeah. really kind of wealthy areas. But you also have areas which are really not wealthy at all. And the, the Wandle as a sort of previously industrial river doesn't flow through these like fancy well-heeled boroughs. No. It's not you know, the the area around the Wandle isn't these sort of beautifully manicured parks. It has this, the Wandle Trail, which is this amazing kind of green corridor, which links up sort of different parks. And some of them, like some of them are quite fancy. There's Morden Hall Park, which is run yeah. by the National Trust. But some of them are just like, you know, your kind of average local park. And it is a green corridor that's accessible to um, Literally people. Yeah, yeah, to absolutely anyone there's a, a footpath you can run you can walk you can cycle and it was such a brilliant place to be able to go during lockdown because mm. you know so so many of us were kind of deprived of the things that we normally be, be enjoying so to see so many people out and like discovering the wandle and kind of making that sort of journey along the Wandle kind of part of their day to day life as I did. It was, yeah, it felt it felt very important because I think so many people have fought to make the Wandle this kind of wonderful, like accessible place where nature is kind of nurtured. Um, so the Wandle was actually declared a dead river in the 1960s because it was so badly polluted by oh, industry. Wow. And a group got together and essentially working with um, Thames Water, local industries, local businesses, um, all the boroughs that the Wandle flows through. So that's Croydon, Sutton, Merton and uh, Wandsworth Mm. and sort of any other kind of stakeholders. They basically kind of created new rules for the entire river catchment area so that the river would be clean it would be a sort of good environment for fish but also for birds for other Mm. wildlife and creating this sort of footpath along the side obviously you have it's you know it's not a kind of beautifully maintained little flower bed it's very overgrown there's kind of ivy there's weeds there's you know this kind of natural sort of wild abundance and I think like sometimes it does encourage littering like maybe people are quite dismissive of it but I think it also encourages so much kind of fierce loyalty to this space like I see really quite young kids like groups of kind of 10 11 year olds going along there of their own volition with litter pickers and bags kind of tidying up and it's so it really the wandle feels like a real kind of 
community success story, an ecological success story, like, you know, somewhere that South Londoners can really be proud of because it's it has this incredible sort of fascinating history as a working river. But now at the time when we need to look after our environment more than anything, it's now this beautiful like wildlife habitat and somewhere that we can enjoy and we can see greenery and we can learn about birds or insects or fish or whatever else the river has to offer. Well, that that feels like the best possible place to end. We've overrun as as always. Oh yeah, as yeah. Always. Yeah. I, we will um, be editing this down. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry for that, Ellie. And um, we really appreciate your time. Um, we try to end episodes, or we used to anyway, in terms of um doing like a recommend of something. We tried to do that, I think, when we first started this. And literally, while we've just been sat here, I've been sort of typing into my phone, going, "Oh, think about this. Think about this." Um. And kind of following on from your your point there about, um, you know, the surroundings of a river maybe not being the prettiest, but it is it is an ec- ecological environment. It's where all the, you know, it's weeds, it's it's ivy, it's overgrown stuff. People might just throw their, you know, throw their litter in it every once in a while. Um, but thinking about the, <laughs> the natural environment um, and especially making and clothing and accessories, um, I think we both follow um, Sunnybank Mills on Instagram. Um, yes. I searched for them recently because they had this wonderful, they had the Threads Festival in May, which I went to and just had a, an absolute blast. It's the mill in Leeds where they film the sewing bee now for t- TV. Oh, yes. Um, and um, I got to go on a big loom. It was very fun. Oh, that does sound fun. It was really fun. I wasn't there, but I got sent so much footage. She lost her goddamn mind. <laughs> she, Reader, she did. Yeah. Um, and um, I met a couple of people there who were doing really interesting stuff. I mean, lots of l- there's lots of creativity and lots of small businesses up there um, doing an awful lot. But I also met Alex, who makes jewellery from brambles. So oh, um, wow. <laughs> Alex was talking to me about the bramble jewellery and saying, oh, no, it's really easy. You've only got to do this, 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 this. And I was just there going... I'm going to give you the money for the earrings I'm buying, but I am never doing that. Like you do it, mate. You're fantastic. Um, but I'll um I'll post a link to Alex. Uh, oh, Alex that would be splendid. Um, I'll share that when we share the episode. Bramble um, jewellery, how gorgeous! Yeah, yeah, they are really nice. They're lovely, kind of like woven hoops. Um, oh, wow. And um, yeah, it need only take you know a certain amount of thrashing with the brambles to uh, get this wonderful <laughs> effect. So I was like, you've earned your money. Ha! There you go. Um, but again, harvesting with madder and stuff like that. I'll uh, I'll DM you. I'll send you. I'll oh, send beautiful. You Thank you. Um, but that's a that's a big recommend for jewellery and kind of accessories and presents and gifty things because we're coming up to Christmas, of course. Um, I think we can all do a little bit of work and just look for stuff that's a bit different and kind of, you know, give people a present like um, Alex sews like maps of a local area and like kind of um, use oh, a stitch in an interesting way. Yeah. So, yeah, really good. Um, I think also if you're supporting a, a local business or a small business, that person is putting that money straight back into the local economy they're going to their local shops they're buying stuff from their local cafe you know they're paying they're paying their taxes yep that's another big thing whereas if you're buying (laughs) you know who isn't paying their taxes mm, Mm. you talk about that all day Uh yeah so if you're supporting local businesses at you know at 
Christmas or whenever really, oh, yeah, but specifically yeah. at Christmas when there's so much gift buying and gift giving going on. You're and waste enabling as well. Yeah. <laughs> you're enabling someone else to have an amazing Christmas by buying from them and contributing yeah. to their and you know what, income. and Hugh, Hugh and I know exactly what January looks like for um, someone in the creative industries. January, nothing yeah. happens. <laughs> um, so as someone who plays It's in, a cold, like, long month. Oh, <laughs> sucks. Um, but as someone who plays in a function band and, you know, all sorts of different bits of the musical industry. Oh, um, yeah. January is quiet. Um, Mm. So you'll be making another, um, what do you call it? Another um, stock music album. Production music album, yeah, Yeah. at some point in January because there'll be nothing else to do and it'll be the one thing keeping me from losing my mind. I'll get get you a sad lamp. I'll do that. Um, And my final (laughs) final point is a very silly one, which is, um, (laughs) Ellie, I don't know if you've read these books. They're kind of like sci-fi humour, kind of like drama, sort of like, you know, fantasy. A rollicking good time, but they're called The Rivers of London. Um, Yes, I have. (laughs) I love them. Absolutely love them. Oh, because I I sat down and I was like, right, Wandle, Wandle. And I was like, well, the Wandle must be a character in this supernatural cop series of books because all the rivers of London have personified characters that are yeah. real people who walk around and interact with um, our main character, who is a magic cop. Um, but, you know, don't let that put you off. It's all, all very good fun. <laughs> um, and I was looking for it and I was like, oh, there's there's Wanda. But I can't remember what book she's in. And then, no, 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 there's, a mini, there's a mini story about <gasps> the... There? Yeah, Wanda is the, the spirit of the... The personification of the Wandle. Yeah. But yeah, she's she's in a, a mini story. And she's got a post industrial past. There's lots of herons kicking about. That's her <laughs> <laughs> her whole vibe. Oh my gosh. But um yeah, that made me laugh so much. Every every time like a real bit of life comes up that's connected to that book's like um stuff in Soho, like as a jazz musician. You yeah, know, yeah. You know, oh like, yeah, of course. Around. There's a bit there's a bit doesn't the main character get beaten up by a river spirit in the garden near Richmond? Um <laughs> Thames and it's like oh we've we've uh, we've been there yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's so many links so yeah if you're a Londoner or want to be one and uh, like to think about the natural environment and all the rest of it yeah you could do a lot worse than getting involved with those books they're good yeah anyway I'm glad you've read them that's great yeah, yeah no, they're really good fun <laughs> Ellie thank you so much oh thank you so much it's been a pleasure oh Ellie you know what I must get people to do is they've got to follow you on Instagram because that's where I think almost everything would be so it's at take it up wear it out that is correct, yes. Yay! Okay, brilliant. Yay. And um, of course, if there's anything else you wanted to shout out, um, I mean, you know, you'll share it there. Stuff that comes up in like those kind of community activities, like the one I joined in with, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. If I'm uh, if I'm running any workshops or doing anything, I'm also part of um, London National Park City. So if I'm doing anything with them, um, it will be going in my link tree which is on my instagram so yeah you can grab details from that so that's where yeah that's where all my updates will be and there's also links to um blog posts about some of my sort of big projects so the wonder wardrobe and the uh walking and stitching if you're interested in finding out more about that and um some bits about um unnatural and the um discarded Um, project that I did up in Manchester as well. Amazing! Well, go look at it, people. 